0: Welcome to Season 3 of the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Okay, welcome to today's podcast. Hello everybody, this is Brandon speaking. Hey
1: everybody, this is Dan Norton.
0: Hi, I'm Matt. And we got a third guy, he's Matt. Yeah, it's Matt. (laughs) That's Matt. Yeah. Matt, the Matt. Um, You know, someday we should
1: release an extended jam of the opening song. Yeah? Yeah. Like a live chamber recording? That wasn't what I was thinking, but now that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Yeah.
0: yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. I want the the Philharmonic to do it. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So today, uh, this is what you're listening to now is the audio component of our retro review. Yes. Of the logical journey of the Mm Zoombinis, an iconic learning game. Yeah. Uh, So as always with the retro review, Matt is here to join us and talk about it uh, because retro review is his idea and he's very much the thought leader. Of the retro review, that's right, visionary,
1: um, visionary, the visionary, yeah, yeah a luminary in he's, the he's, field of he's, retro he's
0: reviews. Things, um, but first, <laughs> one thing we have to cover before we get into the discussion of Zoom Beanies itself. Um, I want to know what everybody's playing. Oh boy, what okay. Are you, what are you playing, Norton?
1: Uh, you know, I'm gonna uh, slightly cheat, but I just think it's interesting enough to keep going for it. More Dungeons and Dragons. All right. Yeah, I did a second week of our new campaign. Okay. Uh, let's see. We ascended a destroyed tower and acquired a fallen uh, meteorite that imbued my crossbow with the power of ice. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and... Uh,
0: You've accomplished a lot.
1: There was a swashbuckling rogue character who wanted to take it from us who had a very posh accent, Yes. Uh-huh. And, uh And, you know, I put some cross bolts into that bad boy. <laughs> All right. And uh, there's a barbarian <laughs> that sounded suspiciously like Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... Everyone agrees. It's probably one of the best adventuring experiences we've ever had. All right, excellent.
0: So. Yeah, it sounds like modded Skyrim. Honestly, it's kind yeah, <laughs> well, of. It was pretty great. Cool. Um, well, I'm playing uh, Prey. Ah, the new Prey. Yes, as published by Bethesda Softworks software. Yes, um, it's great. It's very great. It's, it's good. it. It reminds me a lot of. Well, you know, what everybody's saying in the, you know, in the Steam user reviews is they're just kind of like tossing a bunch of names and being like, it combines all of these things. So mm-hmm. it's like got some Half-Life in there, some Bioshock, some Dishonored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very enjoyable. First person shooter. I paid the full premium $60 price point. For wow. It. Yeah. But I want to reward AAA work with a AAA
1: investment. That's fair. From me. I do think it's, you know, it's worth a little bit of hometown pride to distribute a little bit of salt that... The praise franchise is the baby of Human Head Studios, which is uh, cool kids in our hometown. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I regret that they weren't able to make that
0: sequel. Yes. They would have done something special, I'm sure. I'm sure they would have. Yeah. It would have been as good, if not better. Yeah. (laughs) Let's, yeah, cage match, Arcane and Human Head. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the game's great. I just wanted to say that because Human Head's cool. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. We love you, Human Head. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you play, Matt?
2: Well, I am a member of the Humble Monthly Bundle. So every month I get a new. <laughs> yes, that's better. Yeah, try again, man. Go ahead. Uh, well, in my Humble Monthly Bundle, uh-huh. uh, I got six games uh-huh. uh, this month. And the first one I just cracked open is Superhot. Super Hot. Oh, that game's hot. great. Yeah. Super Hot. Super Hot. I played hot. the demo in my browser many <laughs> months ago, many years, years ago mm-hmm. when yeah. it first came out. And. Uh, you know, I I'd, I'd had it on my wish list, and then it it just showed up in my door one day. So I finally cracked it open, and uh, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's very very stylish. It's a super stylish game. Mm-hmm. I don't think, and it's a very simple game too. And it's been a long time since I've played a game that is as
0: straightforward and yet as nuanced as Super Hot. So it's it's like a first-person shooter, but it sort of plays like a puzzle game almost. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's it's really interesting. I want to try the VR version. Mm. Yeah, that's been well, well received. Yep.
2: Yeah, I've heard it's basically John Wick Simulator, uh, which I'm I'm all over. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Right, yeah, right, right, <laughs> extremely compelling. Um, and I think uh, one of the interesting things about Superhot is that they really do a, a weird sort of like like every level is deliberately scripted to feel like a slice of an action sequence from a movie that you've seen like right. uh, I think my favorite one starts off with you in an elevator with three mm-hmm. guys a foot away pointing guns at you Ah! Uh, and then it's like well what do I do you know and, it, and like you're saying it's the puzzle like do I go forward no nope, don't go forward don't go back what you do is you step back step to the side take the gun and go from there um, yeah
0: it's it's really interesting too the way it plays in that like frames do not proceed in the game unless you're moving Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, oh, we should probably have mentioned that as yeah, the key. Yeah, so like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what's uh, kind of the core of that gameplay mechanic. Yeah,
1: it's like matrix bullety time. It moves very, very slow. Yeah. Right? So, it moves it, as fast as you do. Well, or, I think if yeah. you even if you're perfectly still,
2: it's still glacially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah.
2: think so. I think there are like everything in the game exists on like its own time loop. Uh, like bullets move very slowly, even if you're not moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time you step and or jump, that's sort of like the default time move. And then if you ever actively take an action like pick something up or punch somebody that's when time like does a big jump forward so like mm-hmm. you have three different layers of time movement that you have to weigh your actions against yeah. you know, along, it's a mind blowing game several years ago Philman had a paintball outing
1: and I proposed and we did a round of turn based paintball <laughs> and uh it sounds extremely painful I really it was enjoyed the it everyone <laughs> else
2: pretty much hated it but yeah.
1: I feel like super hot vindicates <laughs> <Is> that
2: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but super hot doesn't make you stand out in the open and you know you had, cover your face. You had
1: three <laughs> steps, man.
2: You're the one that stranded
0: yourself out there. Yeah, there's like clearly yep, some but, but also lingering bitterness in about this. Super hot, you can only
2: get hit once. Oh, that's true. Paintball, you can get. <laughs> like Oh, Dan's out in the open. Yeah. Everybody. Oh yeah. man. Suppressing fire. Paintball. Yeah. Paintball. Uh, Good it, stuff. It wasn't as bad as zombie paintball, which was Dan's other. No, that wasn't my idea. That was Dan's idea. No, Dan, wasn't Dan, my Dan idea. said we should do zombie paintball no. where only half the
0: people had guns.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Whose idea and, was it then? And you had it to, was the guy, the judge. That, I did not propose that game. Wait, the judge?
0: Yeah. Oh, just like the paintball arbiter? Yeah, you have a ref that comes with yeah, like yeah, you. Yeah, the guy. Yeah. and the zip-off pants. I, I
2: can't believe that the judge would have such a disregard for his business as to propose zombie paintball. I don't
1: think zombie paintball is a good idea either. I didn't like it. I didn't want it to happen
0: <laughs> Did it happen?
1: Yeah, it happened All It was right. the worst Yeah, because uh, if you did So zombies got, it got shot like six times or something Right, right?
0: that was that was their power oh. And get they didn't both. have a weapon <laughs> What an awesome power So you just
1: <laughs> had to run at someone and tag them But on the long way <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, and as you get closer It's more and more painful Yeah, yeah. Wow. Not, not my kind of game Wow, yeah. that sounds terrible I didn't do that That's Anyways. not my fault All right, let's talk about a game that is not painful uh, or agonizing. Let's talk about Zumbinis. So we played through it. We enjoyed it. Um, let's talk about kind of fundamentally what the premise is of Zumbinis. So um, it was developed in 1996 by Turk mm-hmm. um, and is basically... You're getting these little guys off of an island. The island has been taken over by some, you know, uh, in, invasive force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you have about, well, as, as Norton aptly pointed out, 625 Zumbinis <laughs> to yes. migrate to a new land. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, talk about this game in terms of, like, w- what it does as an educational... Uh, piece Mm -hmm. of software?
2: Well, I mean, so from a purely learning objective standpoint, uh, it's a game that teaches logical thinking Mm -hmm. um, by having you, uh, you know, in the the thematic framing of getting your zoom beanies from point A to point point Z. uh, Every step along the way represents a new challenge that you have to overcome by properly sorting your zoom beanies into uh, different categories based on their physical characteristics, which Mm Might have some slight segregationist undertones now that mm. I'm saying it out loud, <laughs> but uh, overall, it's actually a, a really interesting way for players to learn a somewhat fuzzy learning objective by applying those skills in very incremental slices in yeah. wholly unique
0: situations, um, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of facilitating that with with like the different kinds of gameplay mechanics, like what kind of gameplay mechanics did you see? I think my favorite gameplay
2: mechanic is uh that everything is just built right into the game like there's very little like arbitrary or abstract feedback like what you see is what you get and it happens directly and uh and immediately mm-hmm. you know so anytime you you try to place a Zumbini in you know slot A or slot B or slot C uh you get a direct response and even though it doesn't tell you exactly why you got the response you did it also tries very hard to give you a enough clues for you to figure it out and i think that those sort of degrees of failure state um are a really important part of a good learning game uh because uh it'd be very easy to just tell you what the right answer was or tell you that you totally got the wrong answer but i think you know, what separates the good learning games from the great one is how much they're able to help you draw the conclusion on your own. Mm. Um, because, I, I mean, that's what learning is. You know, it's drawing your own conclusions.
0: Sure. In terms of, you know, I think when we were speaking about this, um, about the game earlier, like yesterday, we were talking about just the diversity of gameplay mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of speak to that in terms of, like, how that is, you know, different or similar to kind of how we design learning games at Filament? Mm. Sure. Uh, I think,
1: so one of the big things about Zumbini is it's a big, long game. Mm. And it's really interested in the thought process of looking for and uh, intuiting logical puzzles, right? It's less about a very specific logic practice. It's it's not really about uh, tackling a very specific learning objective. It's really just a game Designed to encourage to let you feel like you can think and solve different types of puzzles, and they don't even necessarily have to be puzzles that are explicitly stated what the parameters are and now execute. But you can be in front of a problem and figure out a way through it. Um, so it is more open. In some ways, it's more brutal in that it doesn't have a lot of feedback other than failure loops. Right. Uh, and uh, it isn't about Uh, really trying to get to the heart of a a learning objective uh, with a laser focus. It's really more about a state of mind and sort of an overall practice. So, I mean, those are all things that I love, right? This game is certainly something that, if Filament were given an opportunity to make a game like this, we would be ecstatic.
0: Mm.
1: Um, But most of our games of Filament wind up being very focused on very specific objectives that come with very specific practices. So maybe an easy example would be something like there is a there is a core logical puzzle to Crazy Plant Shop, right? Uh, where we're, you're doing Punnett squares and you're figuring out how to classify out uh, your dominant or recessive traits. Right. Um, but that game is like lasered in on that, yeah. And it's not at all a mystery about how it works. It's just about solving it and understanding it as as, as deeply as possible. Um, Whereas inside zombinis, right, there could be a level where there are some plants in a Mm -hmm. garden, (laughs) and there might be a pedestal to put them on, and then another plant might come out of it, and you might notice that it has some of the properties of the plants you put on the pedestal, right? So, a much looser uh, exploratory structure.
2: Yeah, and I mean, and that's an interesting thing, right? Like, I think it it has a, I would say, being exploratory is kind of a luxury, like being like in terms of game design, like or at least educational game design, because I think sometimes there we do feel like there is a time pressure to mm-hmm. make sure that players learn this thing in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually when you're trying to fit something in a, a classroom period, which obviously has very finite start and end points. Yes. Um, but I wonder if, sometimes I wonder if that's actually maybe not always the best way to teach certain kinds of learning objectives, because the I think the corollary question to that is like, at what point in the timetable of playing this game does the learning actually happen? Yes. You know, do you have to get to the end of the game to learn something? And then the the game becomes, well, we have to make sure everyone gets to the end of the game. And if the game is constantly pushing you to the end, uh, maybe it's not really a game at that point. Yeah. Is that
0: a a reasonable conundrum? Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. you had pointed out, like, this is, like, one of the first retro reviews where we – we're actually forced to sit and think and actually <laughs> grapple with something. Like we couldn't just kind of brute force. Right. as adults. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. the, this group talking. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not just math polls shooting out all over the place. Right, right, yeah.
0: exactly. It's not just, yeah, like just brute forcing through different geographical areas trying to find the little robber guy that mm-hmm. runs out mm-hmm. um, like in Carmen, San Diego. So I think, um, so yeah, I think it does kind of force you to take the game at its pace but I think you're also surfacing, I think, an interesting tension with learning game design, which is that if you design for the classroom, you're putting these constraints on it that almost inherently erode or can erode. They don't necessarily do, but they can erode the gameplay experience itself mm-hmm. and make it less compelling. Um So yeah, I don't know. Do you think there's like a solution to that problem? Like, can you, you know, is it basically like we just need to make shorter games for the classroom or is it like we need to design increment, like in phases, we need to make the content like incremental so that each classroom you can open up a new chapter and have it be like, I don't know, cleanly aligned.
1: I really think it's a, it's a continuum, right? Mm -hmm. And you're kind of, you're kind of caught between a tension of whether or not explicit becomes extrinsic. Mm. Right. Like the, I think it's worth saying uh, as a critique of Zoom beanies that you could say this is a game for clever players. Mm. Sure. People who are inherently clever are going to enjoy this game. Players who have not really exercised these skills yeah. and and don't receive any other scaffolding are actually going to be very frustrated.
0: I think so I mean and it does it, it sort of requires a, a level of games literacy on the part of the player yeah. that's pretty significant I would say because yeah. there were definitely parts where I was watching you guys and I was a little lost about what was even happening so mm-hmm. and and I have pretty high games literacy <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. so so yeah I think that's I think that's a fair point that um, you know in the interests of promote or fostering deduction and inference mm-hmm. it, it's uh so far into the abstract that it can sometimes become a very ambiguous thing in terms of like like i felt in a couple cases where i was just like i don't even know why this yes. was a successful puzzle for us i don't know why we actually got through right
1: and i think i think if you were to ask uh scott osterweil the designer or or people on the design team there like a lot of i think was that the will they I think it's fair to say, they believe in the power of children to solve these puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they didn't design this with the intent of leaving struggling kids behind, but yeah. rather they're doubling down on believing in the promise of kids working on it. And of course you can provide scaffolding, kids could work together, et cetera, and there's ways to leverage some tools to help kids who are struggling. But a lot, uh, I think that's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it yeah. is creating a very open-ended space that if you're ready to embrace that becomes deeply intrinsic and you feel like you're, you're sort of mastering the game on two levels of analysis at once. Right. You're not only just figuring out how, how to make the rules work, but you're trying to figure out the rules themselves. Both those things are, are, are a little mysterious and that's, that's really compelling for someone who's ready for that level of challenge.
0: And I think for game designers, what what it forces a reflection on is like the idea of like how much do you trust your player, mm-hmm. like how much faith do you have in them to figure this out without having it being explicitly spelled out to them. Yeah, um, I
1: think a game like you know something like the original Mist or those type of games too, similar. Like mm-hmm. you know, I remember playing Mist when I was young and being like, I don't even know.
0: Oh, I, I think of like Zelda on NES. Sure, right. That's another example where because it was so early, I think, in game design. Yeah. It was like they just kind of dropped you into a world and were like, you're a human. You can figure this out. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) I think that's true. It's like, you know, so if you're up for the challenge, right, then you've you've actually, the design has won a gambit and has increased your intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the player is harnessed an even more interesting problem space as a thing that they want to have agency over. Um, But if it's too much and there isn't enough feedback, then you've lost some players. So it's it's really more of a, I think it's just more of a statement of who do you expect to play the game and what do you think that they are ultimately capable of.
2: Sure, sort of in the same way that there's no best way to write a book or best way to make a movie. Like there's no single path or like Mm -hmm. best game design practices because ultimately it's you know a medium that exists between the creator and the player right there's a lot of different players out there who respond to stuff in different ways yep yeah
1: and i you know actually that's an interesting parallel because i certainly used to be more drawn to books that were more outright challenging right i mean there's definitely a time i was like house of leaves is like the future (laughs) of literature (laughs) you know unless i Unless I have to turn my book upside down and shake it to see if something comes out, I'm not interested in reading this book. Uh, you know. Uh, and these days, I'm kind of like, hey, accessible, action-packed fantasy, nice. Yeah, sure. You know, and so like it's a, uh, yeah, we sign up for different types
2: of experiences with different levels of challenge,
0: and yes,
1: for
2: different reasons. Yep. Yep. The challenge, of course, being in a classroom, you don't usually get to sign up for anything. Yes. You know, it's prescribed to you. Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that is a that is actually part of Filament's philosophy is we re, where we really focus on clarity and accessibility because we know that not every kid in that room is a hardcore gamer. Uh, we know that not every kid in that room is at the same reading level. We know that not every kid in that room has the same level of technical skills. Um, so it's we really try and focus on positive, collaborative open, rewarding structures with as much, hopefully as much sort of universally designed features to encourage everyone to have the best experience possible. And yeah, there may be a kid in that room who's a freaking genius who gets bored. Mm -hmm. Um, But they'll be fine.
0: (laughs) They'll be (laughs) fine. That's the nature of geniuses. Uh, So when this game first came out, um, there was a review of it in the Washington Post. Uh, Rob... Pegoraro wrote that the game's pattern and deductive logic puzzles teach how to think rather than a specific skill. And I think that's really cool because that's something that um, Mary Heddington who is at Sun Prairie has, like that. that's a soundbite that she is also kind of routinely surfaced when she presents about using games in her classroom is the idea that it's teaching kids not a, a specific learning objective but rather just the art of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like what it fascinates me about Zoombeenie's you know within that context is that it is a it's representative of a game that is focused on 21st century skills mm-hmm. that actually came out in the 90s. <laughs> um, yes. So it's very forward facing and um in line with what I think are today's educational trends in a lot of ways obviously not the the technical uh polish is not the same but um but yeah do you think that there is a future where like games like Zombinis can become super mainstream and like really focus on you know soft skills and things that are not a specific learning objective but rather just the art of learning or deduction or inference uh
1: i don't think it's a change that would happen Internal to the games or even learning games industry, right? It would have to be a demand that came from, uh, schools, right? And so, uh, until we remove the shackles of rigid, standardized assessment and accomplished learning objectives, grade by grade, like we're always going to have focused learning materials to get focused things done. Right? Um, Games can. Games can still succeed with that and provide a more context-based uh, and engaging way to approach those objectives. But we basically need to move out of our current system of measuring knowledge in such a lockstep, focused way before sure. before school could spend uh, what I mean. If you wanted to finish Zumbinis, two weeks,
0: probably right. That was the feeling I got while we were playing through Yeah, it. right? I mean, there's a lot of Zumbidies <laughs> that need saving, and yeah. I'm
1: sure that's not the only branching path in the entire game. So. Right. And we were on the easy path. Yeah, and I oh. I, I, would probably say, too, it's like you play – yeah, if you finish Zumbidies, you'll be more clever than when you started. mm you'll have you'll have done a whole bunch of different types of deductive and inductive reasoning you'll be paying a lot more attention to people's footwear yeah your footwear (laughs) and how many eyes you have are going to be your new prejudices that's that's probably a dang on the game uh nice shoes
0: (laughs) you're not getting out my boat yeah you belong in a room with other people who are wearing those shoes yeah (laughs) (laughs) that kind of thing Mm -hmm. okay um so yeah, I think I, I think you're right. I think the like the curricular underpinnings of the education system would have to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. And so you'd need a classroom that's like or, or a course that's focused on yeah, whole person development. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Essentially.
1: Oh, I just realized we can we can actually uh time travel and I I'm willing to I would put a large amount of money that there is a design discussion being like, well, you know it would be a really easy way to differentiate these Zimbini's would be skin color.
0: Right. <laughs> Yeah, and then they're then they're like, well, and no, let's not do that one. Let's consider literally every other feature. Yeah, let's not do that one. Good on off. you,
1: Zumbinis, developers right. of the past. Right, you you dodged a bullet. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I think yeah, uh, you know, I I think we see a lot of that in in game design. Like, there's really easy ways to get around you know potentially controversial content. Where it's like that's why you know animals are prominently featured mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. games and stuff like that. It's that. It just keeps you <laughs> out yeah. of, out of the the weeds of potentially uh you know winding up in a hazard and stumbling into something you didn't yeah. mean to do um it is funny to watch like Blizzard though like wander out
1: of of human stereotypes with fantastical creatures, but then use tropes that just like waltz right back in, yeah right <laughs> and <you're> like guys, <laughs>
0: you're trolls, man, yeah, it's interesting, yeah yes right oh man yeah Yeah, they tried they They tried tried. yeah yeah george lucas does the same thing um all right well so um you know how do you think this relates to like the way learning games are going now i i've been reading a lot more press lately about how you know publishers like mcgraw are being very explicit about the fact that they think that short-form games for learning are the way of the future Mm -hmm. and they're they're repeatedly putting that out into the world um and i think as you say there's a a continuum you know and i don't like i don't think there's one right way to do it so you know how do you think this this fits within that claim (laughs) well
1: i think i don't think it's i think the publishers it's less of an opinion of like this is what good games are it's more this is what good classroom content is short, ultra focused, or this is good business and good business. mm, Right. So, uh, let's get comprehensive and have all the games and each one takes 20
0: seconds is like the dream, right? right?
1: Every objective is covered with a different game. Each game takes five seconds.
0: Yeah. Each game title is a common core barcode basically. Exactly. Right. That's, that's, (laughs) uh,
1: uh, if that actually, uh, works, that would be something else, but still it's based on a deeply reductionist, vision of what knowledge means which is all goes all the way back to the same spot that we're tied to a reductionist form of assessment
0: right well and i think that's you know to to mcgraw's i guess defense like what it is is they're simply lining up with yeah what the what the institution does yes you know they're Mm -hmm. they're not they're not trying to change education they're trying to serve it yes
2: taking it out of the the context of explicit education though like I think that especially in recent years there have been a lot of shorter form games you know especially with mobile becoming mm-hmm. uh, the the genre unto itself that it is that yeah. have actually been really pleasant like and indie games too indie games too mm-hmm. um, Dan and I are both playing a game called Card Thief which is mm-hmm. a, a very very short stealth dungeon crawl that basically takes place in like under three minutes uh, around me. Yeah, it's very minutes.
1: convenient
0: game to play,
2: mm-hmm. uh, and it's also <laughs> <awesome>. super convenient. <laughs> oh, do you
0: play that too? <laughs> um, I play um, the one that preceded it, uh, Card Crawl. Crawl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also great. Yeah,
2: and I mean, I think part of what makes it great is the constraint of of smallness. Yes. Um, right. So I, I don't know. I don't want to say that short, tightly focused games are inherently no bad. No, no. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but. we've uh, certainly made some here that Mm -hmm. I'm proud of Mm -hmm. so yeah Um, but I think the other the flip side of those is that they're also replayable you know Mm -hmm. whereas I feel like when we talk about short focus games for the classroom like we we're kind of talking about tissues and that you just want to throw them out after you're done like you play this game you hit the learning and then you you toss them and there's not really any interest in making them I would say authentic game mechanics because they're you know they're sort of one-offs right um, which is the opposite of what a good game should be I think I think Replayability is sort of a metric that's held up to games in a way that, right. yeah.
1: Well, there know. are some interesting, especially in mobile, right? Games like Monument Valley, mm. you're never playing that twice. Those puzzles are That's mm-hmm. true. one and done. And it's over pretty fast. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a good game. But yeah, it is, it is those things. It's short, and you're done once, and okay, okay, that's no, fair. I feel a little robbed. I know, I was finished. I was like, well, that was that. Yeah, I've uh, I've
0: seen a lot of reviews about that game in particular, where people really wanted more content. Yeah, but, and, and you know that may just speak to how good what is on what is offered is. Like, yeah. they, like I enjoyed this finite short time so much. I mm-hmm. wish there was more of it.
2: Yeah, um, like I mean, I don't think that a short non. Repeatable experience is inherently bad, but I think that there's a difference between like non-repeatable in the interest of creating a very specific aesthetic experience, mm-hmm. and non-repeatable in the sense of reductionist, like just get you to the end as fast as you can. Yeah, like, like I think with a a game like Monument Valley or even even a lot of those story-based narrative games, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like the experience is intended to be, you know, a, a pleasurable point. Whereas I think if you think about classroom games and like your dystopian reductionist future, like it's all about pushing people to the end as fast as they can and calling it a game. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think there's something too, it's like the first time through a game, like newness, the inherent newness of an experience is 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 engaging, right? Just that you're seeing a thing you haven't seen before is a good feeling. Um, And I think if a game, if that's, it's, if that's all going for it is that it's your, what your first time through, you I think it's fair to call that a crutch, right? Um, so, I mean, I I think it's not that every game has to be infinitely replayable, but I think you, if all, all you're hoping is that when the player is playing it is that they are propelled by just a sensation of of newness that you haven't really, you don't really have much there, there to that game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that's, I think that's fair. Right. You know, that's, it's, it's the rare book that you want to read twice. Right. Right. Um, that newness of the narrative propels you through. And it's like a a book that merits a reread is either such a detailed or interesting narrative. You don't mind hearing that story again, or it's a, A a sprawling, deep enough book that there's like other ways to read it
0: basically. Right? House of Leaves. House of Leaves. (laughs) The future of literature. Yeah, like Upside Down, for instance. (laughs) Yeah, you fold a page
1: into uh, into half and oh, wait, no, that's Mad Magazine. That's not House of Leaves. (laughs)
0: That's different. Easily confused. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Mad Magazine still exists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, that and Cracked just out there. Cracked, right. Serving the great minds of our. Well, Cracked,
1: like. Formed itself into a, a online content yeah thing buzzfeed
0: thing yeah
1: I don't know what happened to mad I don't know it's yeah. a good question yeah a
0: subject for another podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, hope they're
1: like hardcover quarterlies now
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is like $500 subscription and you get your yeah it's a, they've switched to the time life model yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 um, so final thoughts on zoom beanies. guys anything you want to What what is the final say on that game Good. Go and, for it, man. You go first. Yeah, I mean, I think of all the retro
2: reviews we've done, like we we said on the the video section, like this is the first one that I felt like I was I was actually playing as opposed to just acting through the act of playing for the sake of the, the podcast and showing it. You know, I, I sure. felt like I was engaged with it, and I think that's a really cool thing about Zumbinis as a teaching tool, um, or or anything as a teaching tool, is that it has is as engaging for the teacher as for the the student. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you think about, like, that was one of the great superpowers of Sesame Street is that it was a show, it was specifically constructed to be a show that both parents and their children could watch simultaneously. And, uh, you know, the, the interplay between them was a large part of, like, helping all of that educational value be disseminated. And I think that that could be extended and should be extended to a lot of other Uh, Classroom materials. So, like, when I think of Zumbinis, I think of a a game that actually facilitates learning through conversation. uh, And actually, like, you know, you watch your teacher play Zumbinis, and that teacher can actually model critical thought for you. You know, I think it opens Mm. up a lot of potential in a way that treating uh, games like a classroom babysitter doesn't. Sure. So. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah, I think I mean Zumbinis is obviously a wonderful game, and it's actually kind of it's an interesting exercise to think about. Who wouldn't like Zumbinis? Mm. Like, what kind of incurious slug would you have to be to not be charmed and intrigued by the problem space of Zumbinis? I don't know, but if they listen to this show, they're very insulted right now. You, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you hate Zumbinis. Uh, either you have some other angle on what it is that we haven't considered. Or, or Dan or, Norton will fight you. Or I will fight you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let everyone know out there. I'm, I'm, I'm dangerously strong. <laughs> I don't know if anyone knew that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you could take that both ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. yeah. The level of strength I have <laughs> induces danger. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can That's, draw uh, your own conclusions yeah. <laughs> in the spirit of Zumbinis. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we got one more uh, segment, one more piece of housekeeping to cover for the day. Yeah. Acronym, acronym of the week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look at oh, Matt. Matt hadn't heard the, yeah. the jingle yet. And that's a face of... Was that just three
2: Josh's talking to him? It was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which yeah. is
0: actually what the next season of the podcast is going to be. <laughs> 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 just Josh harmonizing yeah. with Josh. Um, so uh, this week's acronym has been hiding in plain sight throughout the entire podcast. Yeah? It's TURK. Oh, oh you said it already. I said it. It's TURK. The guys that made this yeah. thing that we just we just oh, played oh snap TURK their company is called TURK yep and it's all caps it's pronounced as TURK yeah oh. it stands for something is I that, know what it stands as for is
1: the U for a university
0: it's the T for teachers it's not even a
1: U oh what is it it's a E. T E R C. that's right TURK alright so uh, well an university is a stupid idea no that's it it's
0: university yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's not that it is not that <laughs>
1: Oh, you know that's been pitched at some awful meeting for some online school. Oh, absolutely. We're an university.
0: Yeah. We've got i-students. <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> stop. Just stop. I've done. Uh, all right. Any guesses? Or do you want to just jump out with it? Or do you just want to rate it? Do you like the sound of it?
1: <laughs> I like the sound of it. All right. It's a, it's vaguely, uh, it's a tough acronym.
0: Yeah. I'm Turk. Yeah yeah might beat you up yeah it's close to especially torque especially if you don't like zoom beanies <laughs>
1: yeah right
0: <laughs> um i don't know i feel like an
1: r for going be for research
0: and indeed it is
1: yeah there we go uh
2: is the t for technology it's close technical
1: yep technical Tec- university, university, <laughs> university <laughs> technical university research
2: coalition technical education research coalition
0: committee council Centers. Centers. All right. It's, it is the Technical Education Research Centers. That's what it stands for.
1: Yeah. You know, um, ch- so I don't think that breaks a rule of acronyms. It's a little, a little bit of a, throws you for a loop when the this, the letter is pronounced differently in the word than it is in the acronym.
0: Yeah. And it's a, like a collective. That's what's interesting to me yeah. too. It's not just like a, it's centers. Yeah.
1: I got more than one center. It's an alliance of some kind. Can you kind. have more than one center? I think so. I yeah. guess so right yeah i, was I thinking guess, like in geometry is kind of a weird yeah i was thing. gonna
0: say not if you're a 3d shape yeah but, yeah or a 2d shape yeah or any kind of shape well yeah. maybe maybe like a hyper shape sure because those do exist yeah in the fourth dimension <laughs> yeah. I don't, you think i'm joking but you could look it's, it's all true oh no i, <laughs> I uh, back in
1: my youth when i uh, was wearing baggy pants and going to raves i was very interested in four dimensions. way into hyper shapes <laughs> way into hyper shapes <laughs> I had a Icosahedron <laughs> necklace, man. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We've
0: we've all gone through that phase. Yeah. Um Yeah. All right. Well, that's the acronym of the week. It's Turk.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks Turk for providing us both a great game to play and a great acronym to discuss. Yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Josh
1: doesn't think that was earnest,
0: right? They're, the, <laughs> They're the MVP of this, yeah. this week's episode. Yeah, they give and they give and they give which will be next week's acronym. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Thanks everybody. it a great show. Thanks so much, everyone. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what goes on inside our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher.
1: I don't think zombie paintball is a good idea either. I didn't like it. I didn't want it to happen.